0: We are rolling on by with episode number 56 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. If you don't know what collaborative divorce is, then you must, must listen to this episode.
1: Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now your host, Jason Lavoie.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, And today we're going to talk about collaborative divorce. Now, if you go through your divorce through the courts and you're fighting and people are filing motions and you have to go to court all the time and argue in front of a judge, then that is called litigation uh, when you're going through the court system. Not exactly the most ideal or preferred way to handle things, but it's a last resort. Now, collaborative divorce is a little bit something different, and it's a great resource uh, and a great great way to get divorced if everybody's on the same page. So that is where my expert today comes into play. Oh, that rhymes. I kind of like that. Um, Elisa Peskin Shepherd. With more than 30 years of experience as a family law attorney uh, and a custody attorney and a mediator and a collaborative divorce practitioner, she founded Transitions Legal. Uh, It's a Michigan-based family law firm, uh, and she brings what she calls a mediative approach to her legal practice, a term that she coined to refer to a permanent state of doing what is best for everybody involved, rather than letting anger and emotions lead the way. Um, her proven strategies help clients transition from one situation to the next with ease and grace, and her strategic approach to family law is unparalleled in Southeast Michigan, where she is based out of. So uh, you can read more about her on the show notes, but I want to get right to it because we had a great talk. And uh, without further ado, it's my pleasure to bring you Elisa peskin Shepherd. Elisa, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you, Jason. I'm excited to be here, and I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: So for those who, uh, aren't too familiar with you, why don't you give us a little bit of background on, you know, kind of how you became, uh, you know, a divorce attorney and and how you kind of got to this spot, uh, where you like to focus on collaborative divorce, which we'll talk about in a second.
1: Sure. So I started practicing law over 30 years ago, believe it or not, when things were very adversarial, um, the manner of practice was very adversarial. I... Came to become a family law attorney, I think, because my childhood really was very chaotic. And what my passion has been is, is trying to create situations for people where there's much less chaos. So I I tried to steer myself away from family law and divorce law when I first started practicing because I had so much experience in that in a, with a turbulent family situation growing up. But naturally through the, my natural nature, I think of being a compassionate person and a listener and really wanting to help people in the field of law, family law just became where I naturally ended up every time. And I was really good at it. So in the different areas of law that I was practicing, which included some um, employment law, and some immigration law where my practice grew the most and the fastest was in the family law area. So at some point I had to embrace that. And really through my journey, um, if you had asked me 10 years ago if I could tell you why I ended up in family law, I don't think I would have been able to. But in this journey and founding my law firm, Transitions Legal, I really did a lot of soul searching into what my values are and and what's important to me. And that really brought me to realize that it really is where I came from as, as a child and my family experiences and how in what I do and in the way that I practice family law, I really am helping people move and transition from one stage of life to another and trying to reduce the chaos that's involved in every divorce situation.
0: Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it so funny to me that how our, uh, you know, our personal experiences growing up and our family dynamic really, really does like imprint on us, like how we feel and and, and kind of how we gravitate uh, towards what we do in life. I, I'm the same way. Um, you know, my family upbringing, you know, probably could have been better. <laughs> you know, um, I always say, and I and I feel somewhat confident saying this because I don't think my parents really listened to this, but... Oh, no. <laughs> no, like, I love them both. They're still married. They're married. Um, this year is going to be 50 years, okay? it's great. 50 years. Um, that's huge. But I always kid, they probably shouldn't be married for 50 years, <laughs> you know, but... Um, you know, they, they make it work, but it, it was just one of those situations where, you know, I think a lot of people can appreciate, you know, the dysfunctionality of it all. Um, but, and how that really just imprints on us. Like that's probably what drives me to, uh, you know, lean towards being a mediator, uh, when I see conflict, right. I, I just try to make it work out. That's my natural instinct. Um, but, and that's probably why I got into family law when I went to law school to begin with too.
1: Right. And, and I will, I will say, like you said, that your parents are married for 50 years and maybe they shouldn't have been, but, um, you know, these are different times that we live in now than when our parents were married. And, and my, my father passed away when I was very young, which led to my mother having a number of marriages, which is where the you know, the divorces came, came in because number of marriages means a number of divorces. Right. Um, but the way that I look at it, because, you know, now I'm divorced and I was divorced eight years ago. I was married for 25 years. And I do look at that as a success. Um, Absolutely. We're not all meant to be with the same person forever. And just because we get divorced, it doesn't mean that it wasn't a successful marriage. So, I do like to think that I, that being married for 25 years was a success. Um, And the other way to look at it is um, people didn't, when we used to, you know, in the old many, many years ago, people said, marry forever. You choose one partner for life. Well, if you think about it, life didn't last as long when that became, when that became the staple in our society. So divorce is also kind of a virtual death in a, in a way, because, um, it's it it's the end it, the marriage has out has lived its life so to speak and and it ends we we live much longer so if we're not staying as married as long that it makes sense
0: yeah the life expectancy i don't know the, st- the uh, statistics but i i do know like life expectancy has increased um pretty pretty well uh you know in recent years so oh yeah yeah and um you know the idea is you're supposed to grow together uh, as a married couple, but sometimes that's hard, and sometimes there are events that are unforeseen and and change. You know that whole dynamic, and it, you know, nobody know what nobody knows what life has planned for them. No matter how hard you try to plan, and right. um, so you just you know, right? Some work right. out, um, and that's great, and some don't, and that's fine too. Um, you know, as long as both people are amicable about it, and and you know move on to hopefully bigger and better things. And that's, that's fine. Yes. Um, so how did you get involved in collaborative divorce? Let, let's explain first of all, what collaborative divorce is for those who aren't familiar with it.
1: Okay. Collaborative divorce is an alternative process. And I also like to think of it as a movement, the collaborative movement. It's a um, process to get divorced That does not involve the court system. You make all of your decisions being guided and educated and informed with collaboratively trained professionals that would include attorneys, mental health professionals, and financial financial specialists. And they help guide you and help you make your decisions that will help you to resolve all of the issues that are involved in a divorce whether it's property or child related.
0: And when we say alternative, let's let's break that even down further for for everybody um because you know as attorneys we're familiar with all these different words and stuff but other people might not be and you know the word litigation is thrown around so much and a lot of times I, I even find people who are not exactly clear on what litigation itself means. So let's, let's clear, clear that up too. litigation is when you go to court, right? Yes. Um, you're, <clears throat> yes. you're resolving your disputes um, in court and with the judge because you can't agree. So that's what we call litigation. And that's the standard, I guess the old school standard way of doing it.
1: Right. The judge is making the judge. Ultimately, the judge can be the person to make the decisions.
0: Right. And um, I always say that's really the last place you want to be. (laughs) Um, um, No matter what side you represent, because, you know, judges are people, too, and they have their biases and um, whether it's conscious or subconscious. And, you you know, you really don't want to leave your life uh, to be decided by one person, um, if possible. Sometimes you don't have a choice, but. Um, That's the idea. So litigation is, would you would you say the least efficient, meaning it takes the longest and the most expensive method to get divorced?
1: Yes. Uh, And it's also emotionally expensive. So absolutely. It's expensive in time, in emotions and in finances. All three of those.
0: Because I, I always tell people the wheels of justice turn very slowly.
1: <laughs> um, yes, they
0: do. And, you know, people don't understand, well, what takes so long with the courts? Well, I don't understand what's taking so long. And it's just, I mean, I don't know about Michigan, but I know New Jersey is just a backlog of cases, you know, and you have one ju- only so many judges, um, and there's just too much to do. Um, and, you know... It's just the nature of the beast. I mean, is that how it kind of is in Michigan there?
1: Yeah. So in Michigan, <clears throat> it, it is the same. The, what people don't understand, what our clients don't understand is how many cases each judge is assigned. And we're broken down into different counties, as I know it is also in New Jersey and um, right. New York. It's So some counties are smaller and have fewer cases, but they still experience backlogs because then they'll have fewer judges to handle those cases. And there are many steps to a divorce. Um, So the judges are juggling their time schedules and the people who are able to settle and the people who have to go to trial and trials never fast and never quick. But in Michigan, the Supreme court in Michigan has um, issued guidelines for our courts that, that require within the legal system to complete a divorce with children within a year. So I do tell people that you can anticipate that your divorce will take somewhere between six months and a year to complete. And I think that's fast for you can ask anybody in employment law or business law that's litigating a case. For for a case to be done within a year is really fast in law in terms of law, don't you think?
0: Oh yeah, think about uh, your your typical um, personal injury, you know, case like an automobile accident takes at least two years here, often more um, to go through the to go through the system. And New Jersey also has the same guidelines. We call it like, you know best practices. Um, you're supposed to try to complete your divorce through the courts within one year, rarely happens, um, you know, unless everything works almost flawlessly and everybody's on the same page and wants to get it done quickly and, and you know, works together. Otherwise, forget about it. It's just, it just never happens. And then in the event you have to go to a trial, you know, it's not like a jury trial where you'll have two, three consecutive days of the trial and then you're done. Yeah. you have one day of trial and then you could have your next day two months later.
1: (laughs) Yes. Is that, is that how it works there too? Absolutely. And, and um, I have a case right now that um, the, the parties have a prenuptial agreement, which is an agreement that a couple might enter into prior to getting married to try to determine how, if things don't work out, um, property will be distributed well, we're having an evidentiary hearing with regard to the validity of the prenuptial agreement. And in the meantime, we're still trying to settle the case, um, not able to settle. So I know that down the line, we're also going to be having a trial on this case. Well, the first hearing about the prenuptial agreement was in February, before the pandemic lockdown. Um, our, so that was in February. So our, and we only had a half day Right. Six months later, you know, in two weeks, the evidentiary hearing will continue. But that's just an evidentiary hearing with regard to the validity of a document. We haven't even begun the trial stage of it, which will be several months more down the line. Uh, yeah. So it it takes a long time. Yeah. Um, and And speaking of the pandemic, I do have to say that being able to be involved in a process like the collaborative process that is outside of the court our collaborative cases are moving forward without stopping you know we've been we I've been doing cases on zoom um, for collaborative even prior to the pandemic so these cases are continuing they're continuing to go along smoothly the same thing so it's, a, it's an a, an advantage to the collaborative process. And those people who were involved in the collaborative process prior to the pandemic really didn't feel the effect like my litigation clients have felt the effect.
0: Right, because you're not dependent on the court being open and their scheduling. So kind of mm-hmm. circling back, <laughs> we, we so the collaborative process and the collaborative method of getting divorced is what we call – and you'll hear it often, an alternative. It's alternative uh, dispute resolution is the key word, but it's an alternative to litigation. So litigation is not the only way to get divorced. In fact, we're talking about this other method called collaborative divorce. So collaborative divorce still involves attorneys, right? Every, each party has an attorney. Now, are these attorneys, uh, do they have to be specially trained to do this collaborative method, or can anybody just do it?
1: They have to be specially trained. They 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 have to be tr- take the basic training that's offered through the International Association of Collaborative um, Professionals, the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals. You'll hear me refer to it as IACP, and I can send you that uh, a link to that information if we can include it in the absolutely um, pro- show details. Um, so the attorneys, as well as the mental health professionals and the financial neutral are all going to be specially trained in the collaborative process because it is a specific process to resolution to, to divorce resolution.
0: And, and what is the, why do they have it set up like that, that you have to be trained in this, you know um, what is the, I guess for lack of a better word, the, 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 the mantra of, behind doing a divorce collaboratively, which, you know, the basic definition means working together, right? So, so what's the mindset that they want attorneys to be, and professionals engaged in the process to be trained in this method versus just anybody doing it?
1: So that's an excellent question because a lot of people, a lot of attorneys feel, well, I work collaboratively with the other attorney, so what do I need the special training for? And within the special training, what you're getting is it's it's a change in your mindset. As um, as a litigator without special training, I might work collaboratively with my co counsel, but I have um, I have the mindset that if I can't work it out, I can always resort to going to court. That's not a problem. In the if you're trained collaboratively collaboratively, you're trying to make, it's what we call a paradigm shift in your mindset. Court is absolutely not an option. Your methods of trying to get to resolution and your mindset and your investment in the process is different. And and there's there, there's a different way of thinking. So we're not an adversarial. And that's when we go to law school, we are trained to be adversarial and to win for our client. In the collaborative process, what my mindset is when I am representing my client is is to make sure that my client understands that there are just several options, several reasonable and realistic options in how we can get a matter settled and how we can distribute the property. There's never just one way. Right. As a litigator, I know that there's not just one way, but I want to win for my client. I want the biggest win possible when I'm working as a collaborative attorney, I'm trying to make sure that there's a win-win solution so that both sides are satisfied. Both sides are winning. Both sides' needs are being met. And that because my client and the, and the other spouse are intimately involved in all of the decision-making, they're going to leave the process feeling much more satisfied.
0: Absolutely. It's, it really is a mindset um, shift there because as attorneys, if you're a litigator and you're used to litigating and going to court, right, You're it's a competition every time, right? You file a motion and you want to win. Um, and you're arguing your position against the other position. And, and litigators who have been doing it for a long time, it gets ingrained in you. And so, you know, it's not so easy just to take that hat off and, and try to work in a different uh, atmosphere, um, where the emphasis is not on winning, but working together. Um, right. And so attorneys now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in order to engage in a collaborative divorce, the parties and all the professionals involved have to agree. And actually you sign a document sort of like a contract, right. To, to do it this way, uh, work together and not go to court.
1: Yes, we sign what's called a participation agreement. And and here's another thing. I'm a, I'm a Michigan attorney. You're in New Jersey. People listening to your show are from all over the country. The collaborative process, the way that we're trained, we're all trained the same way. And we all use the same or a similar collaborative participation agreement. So what I'm saying today as, an, as a Michigan licensed in Michigan, although I... I my license. I am licensed in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I've just put those those um, licenses on hold since I now live in Michigan. Right. But when I started out, I was there. But in any case, what I'm saying in terms of the collaborative divorce process, even though I practice in Michigan, it's going to apply in all of our states and beyond our states internationally. That's why there's an international academy, and we're all connected in that way. And it's it's actually amazing to be able to sit on a call with um, people in Japan and in Israel and in China and um, in the UK and talk about a process that as attorneys or professionals we're all committed to and we all are speaking the same language so yeah
0: and and you're all the idea is to be invested in a positive outcome for everybody involved. Right. 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 And and that's the difference. You know, um, some divorces where it's really hotly contested, um, and you just have two people butting heads, uh, and trying to, you know, either hurt the other side or inflict as much, you know, emotional and financial damage. Um, you know, they hire a bulldog attorney and, and that's their mindset too. It, you know, that, it, this is a totally different approach to, to getting divorced. So, um, you know, it's a lot, you work outside the court system, right? Correct. So,
1: and, and the participation agreement that you asked me about before, it's the participation agreement that is a contract. It's a legal contract that you're, that you as the husband or the wife are entering into along with the other professionals and it's guiding your conduct it's guiding your your agreement to full disclosure. Um, it's it guides the process and it keeps people invested because it also says what one really important part about the collaborative process It keeps us as attorneys invested is that once I sign the collaborative participation agreement as your attorney I cannot represent you in an adversarial proceeding in court. So if right. the collaborative process is not successful, you have to find a new attorney to start all over again and represent you in the court process.
0: And and so what does that mean when you say start all over again? That means the, the, the person has to hire a new attorney, retain that new attorney uh, for an original retainer fee. That new attorney has to get up to speed, Um, and it's just more expensive, um, a lot more expensive, uh, for the client. And, and from a time perspective, you're starting from scratch with the court. And like we just said a few minutes ago, court takes a long time, even when we're we're not in a pandemic. Yes. And, uh, so that's the client's incentive to stay invested in the, in the process. And of course the, the attorney's, Investment is they want to continue representing and come to a a positive final outcome so the client's happy uh, and everybody's happy right because happy clients refer other clients
1: (laughs) right right and and those of us who are committed to the collaborative process we really I feel that we really do care about our clients I know I care about the outcome and I care that my client has a positive experience so I, I want I want the process to work for my client because I know that after they get through this difficult time in their lives, there's a whole life after divorce where they're going to be co-parenting. They they don't wanna carry baggage from the divorce or resentment from the divorce process, especially if they are co-parenting and they will have worked out so many agreements that they can take with them after their divorce is final and they're in that new phase of co-parenting, or that new phase of being single and and just ex- having new experiences and new adventures.
0: Right. Um, and, and we and we mentioned before, you know, different people that are involved in this collaborative process. Obviously, each side will have its own attorney representing them, who are trained and invested in the collaborative process, but you also have other professionals and and those may differ case to case. um, But how does that work as far as, you know, experts go? If you need a a finance expert, do both sides share the cost of that?
1: Yes. So collaborative divorce is not only outside the courtroom and what I like to call it in the conference room divorce. It also involves a team. So The three T's to the collaborative divorce process are a team, transparency, and trust. And the team involves the two attorneys along with a mental health professional and a financial neutral. So in the way that I like to have my clients um, proceed in the collaborative process is with a full team in place. So the the members I just described makes it a full team. And we found that Having a full team, it really um, really is true to the to the intention of the process and in how you're going to save the most money because you have a mental health professional who's focusing on and whose specialty is are the emotional needs of the parties going through the divorce, and since we know that most divorces are, I'd say eighty percent emotional. Um, having a mental health professional who's working with the parties and who's part of your team and, and can talk to a client who's maybe having a difficult time because they don't want the divorce, but they have to move through it. They have somebody who's built into the process, who's going to help them with that. But how have, does the, okay. Go ahead.
0: No, I'm sorry to interrupt, but with the mental health professional aspect of it, how does that work? And, and this applies to, I guess, the finance guy too, they, they are, are working for both uh, parties. Correct. They're so
1: neutrals. They're neutrals. They're
0: neutrals. So um, there's, no, there's no real confidentiality uh, going on, right? But for the mental health professional, because usually in a therapy environment, it's, uh, it's absolutely confidential. But how, how will a, a collaborative mental health professional work with uh, the parties if one of them is having a, sort of a, a crisis or needs some talking to?
1: So, good question. Um, the collaborative, the participation agreement itself says that the process itself and the things that we all talk about, is they are confidential in terms of their um, – there, every discussion is really part of a settlement negotiation. So you're not going to be able to necessarily take what you learn and what you say in those settlement negotiations into court if your process isn't successful. So that's that's one way. The other way is we have to differentiate between the work that the mental health professional in the collaborative team is doing with, with husband and wife or mother and father, the work that that mental health professionals doing with the couple within the process is very different than therapy. It's not therapy at all. And that's why the confidentiality can be different because they're not, they're not sharing the same things. And one of the foundations of the collaborative process is that, is that transparency um, and disclosing all information that might be, that is relevant to the case. And I have a good example of something that in therapy you might consider to be confidential, but once you step into the collaborative process, you have to question whether or not you should keep it confidential. And that's the issue of an affair. So if a couple have come to into the collaborative process for the divorce and one of the spouses has been having an affair, but it's not disclosed in the other, let's say that a wife has been having an affair, and husband doesn't know about it. But now husband's now wife's attorney knows about it, and the mental health professional knows about it. So we have to ask ourselves, is it relevant to the process that that does this information need to be disclosed? And and I like to talk about this as an example because I had a really hard time when I first started practicing collaborative law understanding why I had to disclose if my client was having an affair because I I often used to think that it's just going to hurt the other party um, or let's say the affair is over it's not even it's not happening anymore and I had a hard time grasping why it was important to disclose
0: right it's not relevant really.
1: You think it's not relevant, but the, it, it having gone through it a couple of times with different clients and, and working with my collaborative colleagues, it is, it is so relevant because if, uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, if it comes out at a later point in time that um, a spouse was, had had an affair or was having an affair during the process. The spouse who was not having the affair, who learns about it after everything is done, thinks, what else don't I know? The right. trust that is that is one of the um, foundations of the collaborative process is gone. The trust in the process, the trust in the um, professionals who are helping, and obviously the trust in that spouse. If, if, if my spouse didn't tell me that there was an affair, what else don't I know? So that's, that's, one, that's one area. The other area is that it carries so much emotional, it's so emotionally charged that when it comes out, if it's after the process is over, you can question how motivated was I, if you're the person who was having the affair, how motivated was I to make decisions because I didn't want my spouse to find out. So it's even driving the person who wants to keep it secret. It's even driving that person emotionally, And in their decision-making process, you might not know it until a few years later. So it does become relevant to the process in really nuanced kind of ways sometimes because you wouldn't think about it. And it took me a while to really um, get to that point. Um, Yeah,
0: right. It is is kind of a Yeah, no, it is kind of a... um, it's one of those things that is so emotionally charged on the one hand, you're like, Oh man, if this comes out, it's just going to unravel everything uh, and set us back. But on the other hand, right. You, you want to, from a good faith effort, just throw it all out there. So everybody at least feels like the process had some integrity to it. Um,
1: and if you do it within, we, the process is set up so we can help you handle that disclosure. Um,
0: The mental health expert, right.
1: The mental health, but even your attorneys are going to help. The whole team is going to support the couple going through the process in dealing with this situation. So it's built in support that you're not going to have once the process is over. We've had cases we've, I mean, not just, not just affairs, but even like, um, you know, somebody had an affair and the, the person they had the affair with was pregnant during the process. And so you can imagine what that was like in to deal with um, in the collaborative process. But you know what, it's, it, it, it worked. It, it really, it really worked. And that's why the collaborative model that we use with the support and the team and the full disclosure is, is so important by the, by the end, there was, a great co-parenting agreement between the husband and the wife, um, the reason the resentment that you would anticipate um, if you learned about it afterward or were in a, the, the court-based process. You now the, the wife did not have that, that resentment and animosity and, and they could, they were a new family, right? It was a, a much larger extended family to include yeah. this new woman and that child.
0: Yeah, no, having that team um, of professionals supporting you um, is so important um, when you're going through any adversity, really. And, and so that, yeah, I absolutely agree. That's one of the, really the understated benefits of uh, going through a collaborative divorce is that you have support from really everybody, not just your attorney, Um, and, and and that helps you get through the, the bumps in the road. Um, let me ask you this and and, and running out of time, but I want to cover it because, you know, every divorce has, you know, or say most divorces, you know, have their bumps in the road. Um, and it's not all Kumbaya, right? All the time. It is
1: not Kumbaya. No, (laughs) even in collaborative, but so
0: when adversity presents itself, And and you have uh, let's say we'll call it a a different uh, a differing of opinions on an issue, uh, whether it's alimony or parenting time, custody, whatever it is. Um, And even the lawyers have you know different uh, opinions because they are represent you're representing your clients. Yeah. Um, How do you handle that? How do you handle adversity in the collaborative process?
1: Um. So it's it's not easy, and that's why I say people think oh, collaborative is so much easier. It's it's really not easier because when a conflict or um, when when we're at a, a a standstill because the parties are at completely different have completely different perspectives and and it's at an impasse. We have to sit. It's very uncomfortable, right? It's think about sitting in a room with somebody where there's all that conflict and think about how uncomfortable it is. And and the training that we talked about in the beginning, um, there's basic training that we do to become trained in the collaborative model, but there's, there's advanced training that we continue to do as collaborative professionals throughout our career to continue to work on our mindset and how to deal with conflict And one of the things I learned at one of the conferences I went to was that if you sit with the discomfort in the room, you come up with much more creative solutions. It's amazing how our brains work and how sitting with discomfort leads to um, creativity. Um, There's a woman, her name is Pauline Tesler. She's one of the four mothers of the collaborative process. And she said something that I really think is so true. She said that collaborative practice liberates the problem solver within. And I, I have found that so to be true because we really have to get creative in finding a solution. And, and that's what we do. We sit with the discomfort. We acknowledge it. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of hard work. And as professionals, to maintain our professional relationship, we do a lot of work behind the scenes. We do a lot of networking. We're we're constantly talking to each other just so that we are colleagues in the true sense where we can respect each other's opinions, even if they're different. And what we're all committed to as professionals is the process. We're all committed to the process. And we know that this model for helping people get through their divorce really does work. in in having people who are happier and kinder and more respectful at the end of the process and then continuing in their after divorce life.
0: Yeah. And, and it all goes back to, I think what we kind of alluded to earlier, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Um, But sometimes, you know, people have tunnel vision um, and, and get set in a, you know, it has to be like this, or this is what I want. Um, and, um, you know, I'm not like, that's the way it has to be. But if that's not, that's not true. And, and, and that going back to the contract to do the collaborative process, right. That it forces everybody to kind of sit with the discomfort because it's not so easy just to say, okay, we'll let the judge decide or I'll follow a motion because you're going to throw it all away. And nobody wants that. So, It forces you to, right?
1: Yeah, and it's um, what we try to help our clients see is that there are there's a range of reasonable outcomes. Um, You know, we we know as attorneys, we we could be arguing for a settlement to go one way, or the settlement we represent the other the other spouse to go a different way. There's never just one way to make things work. And I would say that you know, in terms of people you know, um, digging their heels in in a position that is very common for even our clients, our collaborative clients. And so the work that we often do as a, as attorneys and professionals is helping them to open their minds to be able to see the options and the that there are other ways that something can be solved and honing in on what is most important to you. So I can find out from my client What's most important to you and, and what would you give up? Because that that one thing, maybe your business interest is so important. And if you weigh that against your your premarital interest in a retirement account, which one really hits you in the gut, you know, right. and, and which one do you want to preserve? And that usually helps get pe- gets people thinking of alternatives exactly. from where they might have been stuck before.
0: And one exercise I, I use with my coaching uh, with people too, when you know talking about any type of negotiation, really, whether it's in mediation or or anywhere, is you know wants versus needs. Yes, um, you know, right? I, I always say, right, make a list and and two columns. This is what I want, but this is what I need, and and, and then you'll see the differences, and it helps to kind of focus your minds on what's really important for you. And and then you could use that when you negotiate.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely.
0: Wow. This is, this is great stuff. Um, I hope that we really kind of have given everybody a really good, broad, detailed uh, picture of of what collaborative divorce, you know, is like and you know how it is really, it truly is an alternative to litigation and a much, what I would consider a much favorable alternative. It's quicker. Um, Most of the time it's, it's cheaper. um, And, you know, there's no reason not to do it, but everybody has to want to do it too.
1: Every, right. That's one thing. Both, both sides have to agree to the process. You can't really force somebody into the process. Right. And a lot of people don't know about it. So I, I really appreciate being able to talk about it. And educate people as much as possible, because I think it's definitely a more holistic and a more humane way to end your marriage. Um, And it, I mean, there's, there, I can't think of any reason not to end your marriage through the collaborative process. There's really not. If you, if, if you can do it and your spouse agrees to it, Get on this
0: bandwagon well that's it and, and and you have to have your mind your mind right to a point to to even agree to do it um, you know if you're emotionally charged and full of anger and you know it might take a little work um, but the idea is that you know you should see the benefits of it um, for you and everybody involved so um, yeah, I think it's the way to go if you can do it, and I, I love the process myself. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I thought this was great. Thank tell you for having where, me. Tell everybody where
1: they can find you. They can find me in um, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. The name of my law firm is Transitions Legal. Um, I have a website, transitionslegal.com, and they can can find out a lot more information, not only about collaborative, but about my practice and where my passions lie um, about the um, different ways that you can get, go through your divorce, Uh, whether you live in Michigan or you live anywhere else in the world. um, The information that you can find on my website, transitionslegal.com really is going to be a good basis for information for you.
0: Absolutely. And we'll, and we'll have those links on uh, the show notes uh, to this episode. So what a great conversation. Thank you so much again for being my guest and we'll have to talk again uh, in the future. And do thank you. Work.
1: I look forward to it.
0: All right. Thanks Alisa for a great conversation about collaborative divorce. So if you haven't figured it out already, collaborative divorce is a great way to get divorced. Um, it keeps you out of the courts. Everybody agrees right from the beginning Uh, to try to do things as amicably as possible and work them out. You can have your own attorneys. You can have your own experts. But everybody is on the same page. So uh, if somebody decides that they want to go to court, they really have to think twice about it because, as you heard, it's not so easy to just change attorneys and start over. Very costly mistake. That being said... All I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you in the next episode.